Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable Podcast, where a panel of leading WordPress junkies discusses the latest WordPress and internet stories of the week. Now, on with the show with your moderator, Jonathan Denwood. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show, or should I say this week in golf? I, I just don't know. Um, we've got a great panel. We've got a guest panelist as well. He seems very relaxed. He's been on the golf course. Um, like I say, got a great panel. We record this every Friday at 8.30. You can normally join us live on the WP Tonic Facebook page and leave any comments and I will reply. I love feedback about the panel show and the topics that we are discussing. So let's start off. Let's let the panel introduce themselves and let's start off with our guest panelists. And that is Andrew Palmer. Andrew, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Sure. Hi, I'm Andrew Palmer and I'm from elegantmarketplace.com. And I also just recently sold layoutscloud.com and page builders cloud.com as well so I used I started those up and I've got a little uh, web agency in the UK called somebody'shero.co.uk and it's me that has just come off the golf course on a Friday afternoon in the UK there we go and I've got Stephen Stephen would you like to quickly introduce yourself yeah it's Stephen Satter from zipfish.io uh, we make WordPress really fast by focusing on optimizing servers and the code that's running on the servers that's great I've got my great co-host Adrian Hi, everyone. My name is Adrian. I am the CEO and founder of Groundhog. We help small businesses launch their marketing funnels. That's great. And I've got Spencer. Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself? Good morning. Spencer Foreman from launchflows.com. And I've got my friend, John Locke. John, would you like to introduce yourself? John Locke, doing SEO for manufacturing. And I've got Sally. Sally, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, certainly. My name is Sally Getch. Uh, I am the WP uh, fangirl and uh, <clears throat> token female voice. Not always. I, I normally get out. Well, no. Last, last time I was, I was on, we, we actually had a 50-50 panel. We did. Um, let's go, before we go into the main stories of the week, this, I need to mention uh, quickly a couple of my sponsors. My main sponsor is Kinsta Hosting. Kinsta is a premier WordPress hosting um, specialist. If you've got a WooCommerce site, you've got a learning management system, a large membership website, you need better hosting than what you can normally get on the market. I suggest that you go over to Kinsta. They've been hosting the WP Tonic website for over three years. They've been a sponsor of the show for almost three years. It's been a great partnership. And what they offer is the latest versions of PHP, Google Cloud Hosting, custom interface and great 24-7 support that really works. If that sounds interesting for yourself or your, for your clients, go over to Kinsta and have a look at what they've got to offer. And if you do buy, please mention that you heard about them on the WP Tonic Show. Our other sponsor and a friend of the show is WP Fusion. WP Fusion really allows you to, to allow your WordPress website to communicate with a host of modern CRMs from active campaign to drip the list is endless almost I think they've got up to almost 200 different CRMs that they communicate with it really enables your WordPress website 
to have the kind of functionality that you get with ClickFunnels and some other um, SaaS cloud competitors to WordPress. It really allows your marketing to become really 21st century. There's a lot to it, but I suggest that you go over to WP Fusion and have a read of what is capable with this product. When you sense what it it can achieve, you're going to be blown away, not only for yourself, but for your clients. So like I say, go over to WP Fusion, have a look, and you'll be blown away. So let's start with story one. Um, Automatic launches malware vulnerability scanning service for Jetpack. This is from Justin Tedlock from the Tavern. So what do you reckon about this one, Spencer? Well, this is the fox guarding the hen house, isn't it, really? Uh, First of all, I wouldn't impose Jetpack on my worst enemy, (laughs) let alone the premium version. But ironically, to have them offering scanning and security services while they're basically peeking in your bedroom at night watching what you do is slightly ironic. But more importantly, back to the whole automatic automatic as a distracted VC-funded venture, which is there's a hundred other things that could be fixed first. But boy, oh boy, let's throw in security. Because security hasn't figured that one out. Or I think security has, or any number of 12 other plugins and services haven't figured that out. Let's jam another thing in the Jetpack and talk about it. I just find this uh, an interesting sort of repetitive pattern now, which could be, by the way, irrelevant. Maybe this isn't a big deal. It's just that it was brought up by Justin in this article. But it just seems like with all the time they have to be working on these little pet projects, they could have fixed the accessibility, could have fixed the look and feel of Gutenberg, so it kind of is you know, less hard on the eyes, could have fixed a lot of other stuff. Like at the core but yes but you don't understand jetpack is the driver of wordpress growth i I think he understands quite well jonathan (laughs) you just don't understand you need you you get 300 million quid from salesforce let me tell you i've worked with salesforce for a long time um they want their pound of flesh. So, you know, they're saying, right, how can we monetize this? We get seven bucks a month from every WordPress user because you'll be the first, you know, install Jetpack automatically, do your security, sign up, boom, there you go. And it's instant monetization. And that's the unfair bit about WordPress, in my view. Then You know, it's all about community and it's all about caring and sharing. It's all about open source. And then all of a sudden, somebody invests 300 million on automatic. And guess what? WooCommerce start advertising in the, in the dashboard. And then somebody else starts advertising in the dashboard. And then Jetpack start doing what BlogVault can do and iThemes can do. And like Spencer said, multi, multiple suppliers that are actually used to it and they've done it word fence you know all these people that that focus on this one thing automatic whoever's running it has seen this said right we well you know if we can get ten dollars a month like like blog vault can then that's great because we're going to get you know just a million users what's 10 bucks a month by a million users you can work that out yourselves it's easy but you know it's they're going to get it if you're if if there are a million websites being built a day and 30% of those are WordPress and then 10% of those sign up to Jetpack, you've made your money. That's why they've done it. I don't know why people ever, I don't know why people ever deny about, there's so many deniers about, you know, making money out of WordPress. Of course they want to make money out of WordPress. That's what it's about. 
it's about yeah, it's, not, it's not i mean i agree with what you're saying it's not being argumentative it's your point but what i'm saying is what's the problem is the do as we say not as we do about open source should I andrew palmer or any of your ventures come on out and advertise against people on a phone home method or get right into their site They'd be all inside your panties in no time flat. But gosh forbid anybody says anything about them doing it. Oh, it's just monetizing the platform. Well, it's not your platform. It's open source. Exactly. And that's, that, is the, that is the point I was trying to make, which you made much more succinctly, because we're not allowed to do this kind of stuff. And thank goodness we're not, you know, because, you know, since All-in-One SEO got bought out, all you see, if you've got all in one SEO, you get this con- constant nagging. Do you like us? Do you love us? Tell us you love us or upgrade and blah, blah, blah. Constant nagging in the, in the dashboard. And I think there should be an absolute rule that the only time a plugin can talk to you is when you're looking at that plugin. Yeah. Oh, I think something's got to be done. What do you reckon, Adrian? Um. All right, so easy solution that if you don't like Jetpack, uninstall it. Uh, just going to throw that out there. Yeah, but how do, you, how do you know, Adrian? How do you, how do you know? You're, sorry to interrupt you, but I'm going to do that a lot because you talk a lot of sense. But the point is, <laughs> is that Jetpack, people don't know. it. The normal user, if, if I install Jetpack, serves a ser- serves a purpose for the uneducated WordPress user, which is absolutely fine. I don't think there's an issue with that. At Groundhog, what we started to do is I launched a new service called MailHawk. And right away, before they go to WP Mail, SMTP, or you know, offload SES or whatever, I'm like, don't bother with any of those. Use our service because we know it works and we control it. And we're going to make sure that you know we take care of you. And it's going to decrease our support. And it's going to decrease all this other stuff if you just use the one that we made. And at a higher level, that's what this is. And it's serving a large portion of the uneducated WordPress literate audience, which is absolutely fine that that market exists. And who not are not necessarily don't want to spend the time to go look up other reliable solutions like WordFront, which is my security solution and, and all of the other stuff. So I think, I think it serves that purpose. While it's absolutely a Trojan horse, as everybody else describes, that's, that's kind of why it's there. Because not everybody knows that they need a WordPress security solution and go get WordPress or go get sure. security, right? They people who don't know that are just going to get their WordPress sites hacked, and then that's going to look bad on WordPress and automatic. So really, they're actually, I you know, in a sense, they're doing the greater community a service by making security more accessible to people who aren't as educated about the pitfalls of WordPress as the rest of us on this call are. Mm. Okay. What do you reckon, Sally? Uh, you know, I, I looked uh, uh, at that article and the screenshot, and uh, honest to God, I thought it said scanning your life instead of scanning your site, um, <laughs> which actually seems kind of appropriate. That's um, really. I mean, the, 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 the fox in the hen house point is, you know, if you do actually hire a bodyguard, that person has pretty intimate knowledge of what's going on with you. Um, so I can, I can almost see an argument that says, well, uh, these people already know everything about us. Um, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, that doesn't mean I uh, think it's a wonderful idea. I'm, I'm not a great Jetpack fan. Just, uh, there was just an issue somebody I, I saw had where, uh, you know, their, some of their WooCommerce tax stuff wasn't working because, oh, oops, there was a bug in Jetpack and it depends on Jetpack. Um, and so, uh, uh, there you go. 
But well, yeah, am I surprised? Not especially. Yeah. Um, I just uh, I'll just throw it over to Stephen, then we we'll go on to the next story. Um, Stephen, um, just quickly, you know, I'm not a really great fan of Jetpack. Lovely people you meet them at word camps; they're always the nicest people, very chilled out. But as a plugin, you know, it's one of the first things I remove from a client site that we're supporting, we're taking over because I find it causes a lot of problems. Is it, is it just because of Jetpack and the way it's been coded or is it the concept of a multi-Swiss knife kind of plugin? Does that kind of concept normally cause problems? Yeah, I think like that's kind of the issue with Jetpack is that it is like, this one uh, plugin that just does so many things. And when you try to do all those many, all those things, it's easy to have a bug in one little area or another little area. Like we're talking about security plugins, like they just do security or you talk about e-commerce plugins that just do e-commerce type stuff, but Jetpack plugs into everything. I don't think like Jetpack inherently is like this terrible evil plugin and it solves a lot of problems for people who don't want to have to sit there and do a lot of research. So it has its space, but it's just large. And when you become that big, there you just can't do everything as well as you would want to be able to do it. There'd be bugs and stuff like that. That call um, trace master of none. Right. So I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a terrible thing, but like because okay, like let, let's take Jetpack and move it out of automatic and say it was some other company that has this e-commerce solution called WooCommerce, and now they created this Jetpack thing. And I don't think we would have as much animosity toward Jetpack if it was a third-party developer. But because it's being ran by people who also influence the I core don't know. Of Look WordPress. how we feel about Yoast. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, well, but, how, how, do, how do we feel about Yoast? I need to know this. <laughs> No, we're not Sorry, going Steve, down. We're not no, going Steve, down. Steve, we, carry on, Steve. We're not going. Down, we're not going down that road. Right. That's a whole hour-long tangent. There. Yeah. <laughs> uh, jet, I got to tell you, I love Jetpack. I love yeah, it. It's it's not inherently like a terrible thing, but it's it's the power that Jetpack has because they have the resources. Like think about something like uh, Elementor. Elementor can get away with a lot of stuff that you or I probably can't get away with because like their whole phone home solution. Um, because like they're huge and they have the user base, they have the money, they're contributing to this ecosystem. And if we can build a company like that, we could also build our own jetpack and probably do whatever we wanted to do too. So I would say that like the challenge is, is if we don't like jetpack, right? Like build something as big as them and take them on, you know? I mean, I don't know if that's possible. That's true, true enough. I love, I love jetpack for a number of reasons. I love the publicized bit. Um, I think the integration with WooCommerce is great. I don't do WooCommerce much these days. I'm, I'm more of a Shopify guy. But, I mean, Jetpack is is ultimately configurable. So you can take out the lazy loads. You can take out all the stuff that you don't need. And the, yes, know, and then you, you have no plug-in. Well, you do, but you don't, you know, there's some certain, there's certain things about Jetpack and I could go through the list, but I won't bore you, but I do, I really love Jetpack and I love the guys, I love the people that run yeah, it. they're very nice. Uh, really uh, I, I, I have very it's, little it's a good pl- It is a good plugin and it, and it gets told off far too often. I think that's mm-hmm. it, 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 what it Stephen said. Purpose, it serves a purpose for the people that are not currently on the Exactly. Rightio, let's go on to story two. Google now highlights search results directly on web pages. What did you think of this one, John? Yeah, I think this is really interesting because if Google can do this, so uh, basically what they're saying is if you're typing in a search 
and then there's uh, some sort of snippet. Then you click it, it goes directly to that, and it highlights that part. So obviously they can highlight something that's on this uh, page that you're clicking to, and they can manipulate the HTML on that page to highlight it. Um, So one of the things that I've been saying for about a year is that Google actually um, has a methodology because I've heard them say this before, that they have a methodology of tracking the search experience end to end. Uh, This probably means also that they can see how people interact with the page. And this is just to me, like one more confirmation that they can do that. Um, What do you mean by that? I mean like, okay. What you're doing. Yeah, they know what you're doing. Okay, because here's the thing. Here's what I have seen. I mean, this story is interesting too, but this is just kind of confirmation of this. But what I'm talking about is they cannot use Google Analytics to uh, effectively determine rankings. They don't use it at all because half the websites on the planet do not have Google Analytics installed. They use another methodology. And most people that, that believe in this type of thing or have heard them say that, that they can track this like end to end believe that they're using Chrome. Now this thing, I don't, I haven't seen this in a while, but I usually use Firefox. Um, but just, you know, word to the wise, if they can manipulate stuff like on the page, whether it's highlighting a piece of text or whatever from the search, that tells you that they can, they have some input of what's happening from the Google page onto the page that you click onto because if they did not have some sort of control that wouldn't be able to happen do you follow yeah i do kind of yeah yeah. i do which is it's almost conspiracy theory stuff though john isn't it it's kind of like google knows everything um but i mean how many chrome users are there to safari and firefox and i know lots of developers use it's got it's got the biggest market share not only in the u.s but in worldwide Sure. It's it's over sixty percent, and also because uh, they use the same engine. But to to John's point, and Andrew, I think you probably recognize this if you said it. They absolutely know what you're doing in the Chrome browser, and the evidence is not only highlighted by this, but like when you do things, for example, could be through interaction with Facebook or one of the end users. But they're interfaced with other companies sharing the data about user behavior. So if you're in your environment, not doing anything on Facebook, not doing anything, and you just go searching in Chrome for, I don't know, a bicycle or a feminine hygiene product or a male deodorant, and then you go to Facebook, imagine fucking lootly an ad shows up on Facebook, like instantly. And there's no possible explanation for that, but that Chrome is immediately reporting your behavior in the same way that ad retargeting works from the Chrome browser to the network to the end user who's paying for the data. Absolutely- you're, you're, you're searching on, uh, on Google, which is already doing that. Not even searching, everything. just browsing, just browsing. Like if I was literally going to pages, I've tested this because it's weird and scary when it happens, but then you see it and you realize what's happening. And by the way, I like Gabriel Weinberg's product, DuckDuckGo, is amazing too, along with Adblocker. But when you use those, you see a completely different experience. But if sure. you're on native Chrome, search or browse any topic, then go to Facebook. And I can absolutely guarantee you, one way or the other, you will see the results of your search soon. The, um, the, 
the the URL bar in Chrome is the Google search bar. I'm not sure if you've ever like gone to like the Google homepage and you started typing something in the big Google search bar on the Google homepage. It just redirects you to the Chrome URL bar. It's the yeah. same thing. So any searches that you tell or any like URLs that you type in directly, or even if you just like think that you're browsing, it's just, it's all the same technology. Like Chrome is Google at this point. Uh, you can still use Chrome without the Google uh, uh, influence though, if you use Chromium, which is the, uh, the open source browser that Chrome is based on. Or, or even, you know, DuckDuckGo is good as the homepage instead, and it hijacks that browser URL thing. And I noticed a distinctly different. Now, I want to say something that's interesting. If you're a developer and you're doing development stuff and you like things like uh, uh, one of those developer sites, like um, I, I can't think of one right now, but where you get all the answers. If you search natively Stack Overflow. Google, right. Stack Overflow. I want to say Slack. Stack Overflow. If you search in Chrome natively, you get all the developer answers. If you go into DuckDuckGo, you get no answers. And I think that's indicative. There must be some relationship between certain websites participating in the Chromium or the Chrome search engine versus uh, DuckDuckGo, which is just matching keywords because the results are like 100 results here and zero results here. And those kind of behaviors, again, are not surprising, but I think we should all be just transparent about the fact that when you are looking at your Chrome browser, you are participating in whatever scheme they've got going for knowing everything you've done. And okay, fair enough. On the highlight topic, I want to say that I think it's a brilliant idea because a lot of the answers that you get are from like Stack Overflow or forums, especially when you're in the developer community. And you spend like 20 minutes scrolling through like 115 replies for the one reply that might have the answer. So having that little bit of highlighted text in order to just say, here it is, uh, I think is a, is a great idea. It would save me a lot of time. And uh, be damned by privacy. <laughs> I think it'll be. I think it's an interesting. We've lost it anyway. I think it's an interesting. <laughs> that, play yeah, what privacy? Like, uh, <laughs> SEO stuff and content. Like if I'm if I have a blog and I've written a bunch of content on it and I have like strategically placed like CTA type stuff. Like I'm trying to generate something from this content that I've produced. Like this is just another way that Google's kind of circumventing that. So like. It's, it's better for the end user, and I get that. But for the people that are creating the actual content and the value, it's a little bit shortchanging them because people will hop to their site, get what they need, and bounce off. And so what? The person's on their site for 25 seconds, and then that counts as a bounce? Like, what does that do for their SEO? Like, I, I just, it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out, I think. We've talked before about how more and more searches result in not actually going to a website. Um, you know, yeah. so uh, that, that's actually, you know, Steve, you bring up a good point because uh, we, we do a lot of like online searching for recipes and we'll type in the recipe and we see that the, the top, the recipe snippet, the structured snippet or the structured data from the recipe with, you know, whatever recipe WordPress plugin they have installed, right? And I'm like, great, this kind of looks like we were, what we're looking for, but the whole recipe isn't in the snippet. So we have to click through the site. And then the first two thirds of, the, of the, the article, the recipe article, is their experience in Cambodia of how they like found this recipe. And I'm like, I don't give a damn. <laughs> I'm scrolling, like, I'm just like scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. I miss it. I have to scroll back up, 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 up. So for the end user, this is certainly like, you know, a fantastic for me. And I can just like immediately skip the whole like prelude to right. the recipe. I, I, I mean, you know, the, uh, uh, 
I have run into that kind of situation where it's like, get to the effing point. Um, uh, 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 so, yeah. I thought you must, must have read one of my blogs. Um, let's get on to um, story, <laughs> story, story three. Uh, um, automatic invest 4.6 million in new vector creators of metrics open standard. Oh, decentralized communication. Automatic is is getting into the matrix. Yeah, Sarah, this is Sarah Gooding. I think you need to shorten your title, Sarah. That was a little bit long-winded, but there we go. What did you reckon about this one, Spencer? Oh, he's he's, um, he's muted. You muted yourself, Spencer. All right. Um, I feel like this is a little bit of a deja vu on the first one where, again, deja vu, yay. Automatic. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I know this steak isn't real, but I still enjoy it. Um, they're investing a lot of money in a lot of stuff that I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this technology. I really don't know what this has to do with the core of, of WordPress and the CMS and the rest. It's just, it's tangential at best. It's not a front end or a rear end or a, you know, entry system or uh, you know, well, no. I, I, you know, the thing I heard is basically is is automatic kind of going after Slack, or are they are they seeing this as you know, if oh. not a, a public everywhere else uh, Slack uh, a replacement, a replacement within um, uh, you know WordPress that the you know the official uh, WordPress community on Slack is that going to get you know moved over to this matrix thing, and and I have not heard anything about it um but that is the speculation well that's the part like in other words imagine you told your investors and again taking venture capital you just gotta throw it against the wall see if it sticks which is what this is doing but imagine you say to investors i need a hundred million dollars or whatever to do a or b right you put it into your public filings you put in your documents if it well if it's private and you essentially say i'm going to do this now Automatic was presumably going after WordPress, which is a CMS, to do certain things. All these other things they're throwing money at are at best tangential to that purpose. And when you think about how much money and time, well, hold on. If you think of it like the automatic venture capitalists just want to make money, okay, fine. It makes perfect sense. But if you talk about it from the standpoint of where the nexus was, the original starting point, it was where... WordPress, an open source software community, and how do these things relate to WordPress? Now, Jetpack, sure, that's related. Hosting, sure, that's related. What are they going to do with this? Maybe they got some grandiose idea. They're going to bring in like a Slack or a Discord competitor and make it part of WordPress and monetize it. Well, or is it that they're going to make it part of Salesforce? There you go. But you see what I'm saying? In other words, like the, the point isn't to begrudge them how they spend their money. They could spend their money on whatever. But when, you know, our old friend Morton had all that aggravation for bringing up things that he brought up or our other friends about accessibility or the Gutenberg or all the core stuff, you start to wonder again, where is our tax money being spent? And it's not being spent on anything really related to the core purpose, which might, by the way, could be fine. Because again, I'm putting my bet on somebody like Elementor to come and fork WordPress, go off to, you know, their own business model, which is about that. So, Angie, do you think, do you think this is a sign of a company that's a little bit defragmented a little bit, you know? Absolutely got- not. I see, I, it, it, I see this as a, as a, a real grab of, of um, if you've read the whole article, hopefully you have, you know, they've got Tumblr, 
they, they, they want an internal chat system. It's gonna, what they want to do is make WordPress a total ecosystem. So you can have chat, you can have social media, you can have uh, invoicing, you can have CMS, blog posting. Yeah, but doesn't that end up as another a big example of, um, oh, my mind's gone blank, of uh, um, um, Jetpack, you know, isn't that? Yeah, Yeah, that that is there. I think there, and I'm not going to lightly say this, Matt Mullenweg, Wants world domination. Make no mistake of that. Oh, and this is all we, part we have of noticed. Plan, yes, right. So this is all part of that. The, 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 if you have your ecosystem, the power of Facebook, right? Because look at how big all the Facebook groups are, how big Facebook is, how big Twitter is. They're all thinking, how can we actually get bigger and better, and how can we? can consolidate everything that we've got into one massive platform. And that's all that all WordPress are trying to do. An automatic yeah, I'm not sure they're aiming for better. Big, <laughs> I think they're so busy aiming for bigger. Better. They don't care. Better. No, better is a, better is a, is, it's a judgment call, isn't it? Is it better? Is it, is it worse? Who cares? It's but you know, it's different. So, but they are what they're aiming for world domination. This is part of it. No, I, I disagree that that's a successful avenue based upon other companies who have tried to be, I didn't say it was successful, Spencer. I I didn't say, you know. As a difference of strategy, for example, when you argue about Facebook and so forth, sure, once they were a multi-billion dollar company, they bought things. But before they did that, they were known as the thing that did one thing best, and they already had the audience. Here the problem is that they have an Achilles heel that you didn't mention, but I think, again, you'll acknowledge. Unlike closed platforms, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Google, everybody else, who control every aspect of their code base and users, This is open source software. Anybody can run away with it and clone the core of their business that attracts the user base anyway. And so my conclusion is you can't act without pure focus and with an acknowledgement of who your user base is on doing these things because what you end up doing is buying a bunch of unrelated pieces. Well, I think in the article they did say this is kind of of for WordPress.com. You know, so it's it's not necessary for WordPress as a whole. WordPress.com is a full-on private infrastructure. It's, it's not. It's a. It's a SaaS. You thanks, Adrian. God, thank God for you. But there's. But there's honestly, it's. WordPress.com is as big as big can be. It's a massive company, and it kind of just goes. It operates under the radar, and it charges up to. I think there's some companies out there paying upwards of five hundred thousand dollars a month to host their stuff on wordpress.com so don't don't be misled i mean i know three companies that are paying 20 grand a month on wordpress.com because it for, is the for the awesome vip solution. service yes yeah, which VIP is service. which is somewhat different from the generic wordpress.com for sure and that's what this is all about you know this is this is they're going to yeah, have their own little ecosystem in wordpress.com make no mistake all right it's the, i'm going Let's end there and let's go for our break, folks. We'll be back. I've got three other great stories. The panel seems energised. I think it's going to be a great discussion. We'll be back in a few moments. 
Are you a WordPress consultant, designer, or small digital agency owner? Then you need WP Tonic as your trusted white label developer partner for your next big e-learning or WooCommerce project. WP Tonic has the knowledge to help you build out custom functionality that your clients need in LearnDash, Lifter LMS, and WooCommerce. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with a full, no question asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Find out how WP Tonic's white label services can help your agency today. Go to wp-tonic.com's homepage and book a free consultation with Jonathan. That's wp-tonic, just like the podcast. We're coming back. We'll be discussing all things WordPress and other stuff. The panel seems quite energized, but it's great stuff. On to story four, SE Rush selling links that are against Google guidelines. And uh, John Locke was part of this story as well. Tell us about this story, John. All right. Now, look, I'm just going to say, if I hadn't, you know, I'm not saying that it is all me. Just I tweeted out what I saw. If it hadn't been me, it would have been somebody else would have said it for sure. SEO, the people in the SEO community, they are brutal. They call shit out. And um, all I did was just tweet a tweet. I saw something come in my email and, uh, you know, put it in there. It said, um, you know, SEM Rush is selling links, you know, make it make sense. And it started going viral. And then SEM Rush, they uh, replied to me and then, uh, you know, trying to tell me it was all white hat and it's all, you know. No worries here. But then, then the, John, vo- then, then the voice of God But yeah, so anyway, John Mueller from uh, Google responded and said, like, hey, uh, no, this is a link scheme. Well, long story short, by the end of the day, they decided to uh, push the, this service back and uh, they took it. They said it's coming soon instead of offering it. Basically, the, the, it'll be coming the, soon, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah as, as soon as we figure out another workaround. Yeah, the, the CEO sent out an email to all the customers at SEM Rush saying I that you know, yeah. people were accusing them of selling links, and that's not what was happening. Um, but the links that they were building, basically, they'd go to people that, that you would like, you know, you get the emails like all the time. You guys own websites, sponsored posts, like, sponsored, yes, sponsored yes. posts. We'll yeah, pay you these $20. are the people. These are the people that they were using to build these things. And get three of those a day. Yeah. I know, but they basically, they were um, the, the example sites. And when, so these would be the most squeaky clean examples that they could come up with. These are basically uh, well-known pay-to-play sites. And basically all they were doing is marking it up by 5%. Now, here's the thing that, that makes this a dirty link. And, and uh, uh, shout out to Tom Rayner of Rayneronomics, who also, uh, he bought some of these links, ran them through their uh, link audit tool, and they came back as toxic. So, wow. go explain that one. <laughs> What's toxic mean? Toxic links is a thing that's in SEM Rush that gets people all worried and panicked and stuff. And basically um, they go run to, to disavow links, which by the way, never disavow a link unless you are engaged in black hat activity. Don't disavow links because it does nothing. And Google automatically just doesn't use that as part of their formulation. It doesn't count against you. It doesn't count for you. Unless you have a manual penalty or something, don't disavow ever. But anyway, um, 
yeah, basically these links that they're selling were flagged as toxic by their own tool. What makes it really tricky is the wording they used in this service, which is basically just give us the anchor text, which is the words in the link and the page that you want to link to, and then we'll do the rest. We'll write an article, which I call a link uh, deployment object, basically placed link deployment object. Uh, and then we'll, you know, publish it. And uh, the email that the CEO sent out, I got it like last night. It, it basically said uh, uh, that the quality of the links that they were auditing uh, just weren't up to, to par. And uh, they were going to pause in the service until they could get like better ones. So um, uh, they, did, they, oh. did, they did put their hands up, though. They put their hand, he, he did put his hands they up. They did. I mean, I they got the caught. Emails. Well, everybody's. That's what I'm saying. The SEO community will call. They'll call BS out. They won't pretend that you know they're not eating a shit sandwich. So yeah, that's that's basically the story. I want to shout out one other tweet that was in there that said <clears throat> because they took forty million in VC, and this is another case of you know people mm -hmm. taking. Yeah, and doing something stupid. Somebody in this thread uh, on Twitter said, this is like a, uh, a CBD company taking like a, uh, a $40 million investment and then going and deciding to sell weed on the corner. It just makes no sense. So, Yeah, but this has been, uh, uh, as, uh, as we were having a chat yesterday, you know, Moss was in the same, Moz was in the same, you know, they took venture capital, well, they took it at early stage and, that really led, in the end, to the founder, Fishman, and his mother being kicked out of the company because mm. as, as, a, mm. as a, mm. a profitable private company, it makes sense. But as a, you know, how much, apart as a niche project, project, product, um, Rush SEM is, it's never going to be, it's never going to be be able to break out, in my opinion, from the niche group of people that get value from it. You know, yes, and and God forbid that venture capitalists invest in something that would like merely be a continuous, profitable, uh, oh, yeah. slowly growing, uh, you know, steady return on your investment. If it, it, you know, if if it's not promising you ten times what you've put in, well, forget it. Within five years, yes. You know, so it's, and I've resisted venture capital. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a pretty big printing company and we had Climate Benson back in the day, you know, we're talking 30 years ago, coming to me and saying, you know, we, we want to put three or four million into your company because we think you, you can do great things. And I just said, no, it's okay. Thanks very much. Because VCs want their pound of flesh, right? So you've got to, you've got to be careful. I'm not sure um, that Rand Fishkin's company, Moz, I don't think they ever made a profit, Jonathan, you know, and I was very, always, always very um, wary of, of Moz.com because of some of the advice that they gave and the, yeah. Friday, and the Friday and stuff. And it was all a bit grey and a bit kind of bland and, you know, common sense kind of stuff. John will tell you, you know, he's an SEO, proper SEO person. But the, you know, my SEO journey has been fantastic and I, that's, how, I, that's how I made my early money in SEO. Um, but, and I've always said content is king. And now look at this. We've got Bert coming out saying, guess what? Content is king. Let's, you know, so it's all yeah, about that, really. Yeah. So, Spencer, what do you think led them? Is it just that, you know, they've got this venture money and they just, you know, because this whole thing just seems madness, you know. It must have been discussed at the highest level 
blocked at some degree. And it's, it's, you know, it's obvious that it's a bad idea from the beginning to the end. And it's really, you know, it's the kind of stuff that you just just wonder what the fault was there any fault process because it it's you know I don't want to overstate it but it's, it has damaged their brand to some extent isn't it yeah. I think it's an outcropping of the same problem that we were just talking about with Google and which although again I respect very dearly what John does with an SEO specialty the fact that SEO is becoming a bit not what it was if not to say irrelevant because it's pay to play Search is no longer like 100 people trying to be found. It's a quadrillion people all gaming to be found when the game is rigged by the casino. And if you're a company that's built on giving expertise out to people for money on how to game the casino, well, you know, I know some guys are going to take you in the back room. And if uh, you win a little too much money, you're not going to come back to the casino or maybe you'll sell links. And, you know, it becomes like the Wild West of Las Vegas a little bit. I think that's what's happening is they all just figured out, look, how can we continue to make money the way we were hand over foot when the game is basically pay Google money or not? Well, here's how. We'll figure out a way to start selling our valuable links to you. Oh, we got caught. Well, we didn't mean it. Sorry. You know, that's all that's happening. And I'm not saying SEO is going to completely go away, but I do find it really ironic that when you know that if you spend $100 on an ad, it actually will get you something versus the pretend spend $100 on an SEO specialist who will try to get you organically to the top when everyone else is playing the pay for play, you're, you're going to eventually figure out like you're going to go broke before you get seen. So a hundred dollars in paid ads can do a good, a, you know what I mean? A, you know, jump start for SEO though. A thousand dollars a day or something. I mean, you've, you, whatever the number you can't get anywhere by me- pretending it's 2003. And if you just work hard at your SEO and your metadata that you're magically going to pop up on page one. Cause it's just I, not, uh, you know, uh, there is, yeah, you, I, I, you put a year and a half into it. You put, if you put a year and a half into it and you choose your keywords extremely carefully and you do all of your due diligence in a year and a half, you will at least get to ten, number 10 spot. I mean, like I, I can have. get, I can get to, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's like, you know, as we've said, like SEO is not a condiment. It, it, it's, it's not something you can just like sprinkle on your website and presto and, and advertising gets you a much faster Return and I think most people. John seems to have, have had to uh, uh, turn off his his camera for a moment, but uh, I I think most people who are SEO uh, experts usually advise a combination of your sort of content, etc. Plus, well, I um I I can only go by my own experience. You know, and I'm going to be open here. You know, about eighteen months ago when I decided to really um focus on learning management systems and the maintenance and the building of them. Um, the traffic levels to WP Tonic website was about 5,000 unique visitors per month. Last month, it was 26,000. Um, so, but that was hiring a professional copywriter and working with her and doing a lot of SEO research on, on articles that we could attack that was it was possible to get into the top three and sometimes we have and sometimes we haven't and then going back to the articles that haven't achieved 
and improving them and adding video and, and revising them and spending a lot of time on a group of articles that appeal to the target audience. But then balance that against a spend with whatever you're spending with her and balance that against a, an AdWords or a, or a Facebook campaign spend and what's what the return on investment of, of, is of it's, that. It's been, now, it's been considerably cheaper to do, but it's just the time lag. Has it, has know, it been? You know, yeah, you, but it's not time. It, but how much is your time, Jonathan? That's what I'm trying. That's what I say to customers. How much is your time? How much do you have? How much time do you have to wait? Mm. And, and right. I mean, the thing is, if you if you're it. if you're buying the ads, you know, there has to be something for people to see when they get there. That sure. that that's relevant to the ad. So you're still going to have to do something about your content writing. And I, and I would argue, I'd argue one thing that you're just not paying attention to, but I think you'll agree is just the, the source of this. When you put out 500 podcasts and you become friendly on a business or otherwise relationship with everybody in the WordPress community, what's really happening is you're seeding your brand and your attention throughout their ecosystems of people. And that's where your traffic is coming from. And I can tell you right now, I can get almost any idea I want on the front page pretty quickly by doing that tactic alone. Making friends with somebody who's already got a huge audience and having them say something about me will get me immediately on a topic to the front of some search result because I'm essentially borrowing their credibility. And that's what the root of this whole gimmick was. I mean, you can do it legally by making friends with the right people, but they were trying to sell their but, info. But, but then you have to take the time to actually develop a relationship. Oh, my God. I know. God forbid. And be nice. What's relationships? Oh, my Godfathers. Yeah. Uh, uh, odd story five. WooCommerce is testing a block-based cart checkout. What do you reckon about this one, Stephen? I think it's great. I mean, finally, they're like looking into how can people mess around with cart stuff and checkout flow stuff. I mean, I'm surprised that it's taken them this long to realize that that's like the number one frustration with anybody um, trying to build something. But um, like launch flows, like Spencer's, you know, been solving this problem for a while already. And there's already some solutions out there. Um, But it's nice to see that WooCommerce is starting to like pick up on that a little bit. and it's only based in blocks, but I'm, I'd love to know what Spencer's thought is. Like, do you think that'll open it up to um, being able to edit and change things even easier and better well, in like third-party systems like yours? Yeah, I mean, it's good. I, I, I looked at this. I, was, I saw, we were talking about this last week, uh, Adam you know, made a big fuss about Cadence using the block editor from Gutenberg. But when you actually look at this, and by the way, I'm, uh, you've had him on the show, but Jonathan Wald is somebody I'm very close with. And I talked to him because he's tapped in along with his brother who is at the bottom of the comments. What's going on with the automaticians and WooCommerce? When you read underneath the line or between the lines here, it's not changing the checkout components. It's just simply adding a few visual tchotchkes onto the side of what's already there. In other words, oh, I can show a shipping calculator. Oh, I can hide the costs that are already there. So in a weird way, this is not that dissimilar to some other of these funnel products that don't change the checkout components or allow you to visually move them around. It just takes the same tax form and it just turns on some things and from CSS standpoint, lays them out in like maybe a little different side by side. Where I think it's really hard and why launch flows, I'm not trying to say this like the only thing, but why launch flows is slightly unique is I decided that the problem to solve was how to actually use various parts of the checkout or not, and then move them around with the Elementor. And so that's the difference here. I know somebody will end up doing that, hopefully at WooCommerce. 
But when you actually read Mike Jolly's notes, which I, like a Bible, have to look at all the time for WooCommerce, you'll see that the mindset of the WooCommerce team itself are developer minds. They do not understand marketing or why people use WooCommerce at all. Like or literally, you, or well, you know, UI the, pro- the problem with software is that it's built by developers. <laughs> I'm saying you have people for a year or two arguing with Mike Jolly about why instead of offering default WooCommerce as a Home Depot, that it should be offered more like a sales funnel tool or something. And he does not get it, doesn't want to get it. They just don't care. They care about the functionality and they're thinking like really amazing developers, all the intricacies of how stuff holds together. So my belief is that this will eventually happen globally, but it's like same thing like trying to get the Gutenberg editor aligned. You know, it's going to take a long time. This is interesting, but it's deceptively irrelevant to changing the process. This is on the par with a theme made like uh, Avada. Avada has a thing that changes the look and feel of WooCommerce checkout, but it doesn't change the core pieces of it. It just sort of makes it look different. Yeah, but every, every, every WooCommerce, you know, I'm, I've got Elegant Marketplace. We, we, we sell checkouts. You know, we sell layouts to say you can use a Divi layout in your checkout. And every time I've used uh, or taken away the WooCommerce or even the Easy Digital Downloads checkout and replaced it with my own checkout, the sales go up. It's, it's, it's that simple because it, it looks nicer, it works better, and it just, it's just easier for people to buy stuff. And that's why launch flow, things like launch flows work and whatever else there is out but there. What I, I'm, what I'm being are. nuanced here. The difference I'm saying is when you do what you just said, the WooCommerce shortcode is essentially putting the same things on the page. That's, that's agreed, right? In other words, wherever you put that WooCommerce shortcode, it spits out the billing fields, checking fields, the payment. Sure. The, okay, those cards are on the table. What these things are doing is leaving all the same cards and just sort of changing the color, maybe arranging them a little bit, just moving them in plain view. What I tried to do with launch flows, which was slightly different, is I do a magic trick. I go, look over there. And I take away the cards you're not using, allow you to modify the cards you are using, and then poof, within a half a second, when the deck is back on the table, it functionally and mechanically has different pieces in different places. And I think that's something that isn't hard to do. It's all jQuery, but nobody is really doing that with this kind of stuff. They're just simply saying, okay, with what's there, what do we want to show? And at the end of the day, it doesn't really make a difference. Uh, We address the products as well, the behavior of the products. Lots of things in WooCommerce can do this, but all of them, and you went to Divi Marketplace, by the way, when we used to, there was a guy that had one of these plugins for Divi Marketplace that it was like a series of functions. I forget what it was called, but it was like a hundred different really neat functions. And you just turned them on with checkboxes, right? Yeah, it was called Divi, uh, Divi Switch. Divi Switch. We, we yeah. do conceptually the same thing. If you look out there, there's 20 different really key things that plugins do independently for WooCommerce. We blend them together into one system. So you can control the products, the checkout, the checkout pieces, so that you essentially don't have to fuss with your theme. At the I end of the day, though, it's a good idea. I'll be sending you the, the, um, the, the invoice. The, the invoice. Uh, I'll, send you, I'll be sending you the invoice. In the next, yeah, but I think uh, it's, fair, it's fair that Spencer, Spencer it, it, you know, gives that example because the yeah, problem it's with a, it's any a, checkout is that it is just so sometimes so hard to see what's around. 
right? Look at the look at the standard WooCommerce checkout oh, to even put a put a coupon in it. Where is it? Where's the coupon? Where do I put my coupon code? Yeah, it's I don't know not, why it's, it's in not, that freaking notice thing at the top. That's what a silly is going on, you know, and or it's or it's right right at the bottom of the checkout. And also, if it, it doesn't grab the CSS, uh, well, you know, I, I, I think maybe the uh, you know we. We can we can see the problem just in how difficult it is to buy anything from WooCommerce.com, oh, right? Like these are not people who understand you need to make it easy for folks to give you money. Yeah, but I think it's kind of to wrap it up. Um, I think it's really kind of linked to what you said, Andrew, about um, our our great leader's ambition for world dominance. You know, uh, um, it that's great, but it, it has a tendency to lead to lack of focus. And I think you can some way see that lack of focus in, in WooCommerce and some of the decisions that have been made around that key product over the past 18 months. And also the lack of progress in UX design and other features that would, you know, I think in some key areas, not always falling behind Shopify. That's probably one one of the reasons why you choose to use Shopify and not WooCommerce. I, I, yeah, I choose to use Shopify because it one, it's really, really easy to use for me, and and I can build themes in Shopify because Liquid, Liquid is really easy to understand as well. And also, I've got developers that build the themes, and and I can go in and amend them, but. I want to go back to Mike Jolly. I, I've, I've spoken with Mike Jolly years and years ago. You know, he's he's a great guy, really, really accessible and everything. But, you know, from a UX and UI perspective, who has used WP Jobs Manager? Right? Oh, you ever heard of a that? Long, a long time ago. Maybe. Right. Developed by Mike Jolly, and it ain't pretty. It works perfectly, but it is... It's just not pretty, and it's really hard to make pretty as well. But it is a perfect little plug-in. It's free and everything, and that's why I like my you know, UK guy, brilliant guy, but not UX. You know, they some WooCommerce need to get a designer in, you know? Really do. Really just need to get a designer in and say, right, what can we do to make this they, they, a lot They possibly a need flows. to work with, like, you know, more actual end users. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, look at Thrivecart, look at Launch Flows, look at the other guys that are doing all these things. You can actually design your whole sales funnel within that. And that's what WooCommerce needs to do. You need to get that. They need to get that right. And they never have. And I don't think they will. Right. Because they're not focused on it. Let's go on to the last story, and um, some universities are about to be the walking dead. And this comes from Scott Galloway, a commentator and an educator and a business consultant that I listen to quite a lot. Uh, what did you think of this one, John? Because, you know, I think he was talking a lot of sense about what, you know, what the pandemic, the virus how this is going to affect upper mm-hmm. education. I, I kind of agreed with a lot of the things he was saying. What did you think, John? Well, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I actually have a client on my roster right now that is in this position. Uh, they're a school that is uh, going through this higher education. Um, I think a lot of people are, you know, some of the schools out there that basically are selling prestige, like Ivy League schools, I think they will stay intact. But I think I think they will expand what yeah. IE seem to suggest. Yeah, it's going to be the same. But yeah, I mean, but I think a lot of other places, I think it's going to change. 
you know, I... Well, um, Andy, I'm sorry to interrupt. The only thing okay. that I think could save the kind of middle um, state-based university is a lot of states kind of in the state regulator, you know, in the, in the, um, in the Congress, in the, in the state, um, like Nevada, you know, they, there's a lot of credos of having a state university, you know, they say it generates a lot of economic activity. They never provide any figures for that, but they say it. So, uh, you know, when it looks like an actual state university, do you think, a lot of these state governments are going to feel that they they're going to almost be blackmailed to subsidize them you know to some degree even more well i think you know like state universities yeah i don't think states are have the no. money to be blackmailed into being subsidized for no. for anything cuz right now they're all busy well, cutting their subsidies for everything they subsidize now no well, like say in california like you have the uc system which is like university like ucla or usc and then you have state universities, which would be like Sac State or uh, Cal Poly State or something like that. The ones that are like university level, they subsidize using stuff like sports um, to, to make more money. So it doesn't necessarily need that. But like all the kind of schools that are like underneath, you know, that elite level, um, I think there is going to be a shakeup because they might decide that it's more profitable to have virtual classes or at least offer them as a, as a, a core thing. So that might be uh, the way of the future because, you know, with everybody um, in quarantine from the COVID phenomenon, you know, it's, it's become a necessity because you can't just stop that, you know, they can't stop their, their stream. So a lot of them switched to online that had not previously done that. But, yeah. uh, so, Spencer, do you think the pandemic? You know, I thought I think this was this was happening naturally, but I'm just trying to see some of the long, the medium to long term effects of the pandemic. I, I think what Scott was saying, uh, because of the pandemic, I think this process that was happening anyway is going to be accelerated, and a lot of these middle universities, I just their business model, I just see it evaporating in front of us. Well, uh, for, I have this conversation often because I have college-age kids and also having gone to University of Illinois, which cost me $600 a year, which was like a drop in the bucket. I had a couple of businesses that was like chump change. That the world we live in was that the business model around universities modified during the Bush years where the ability to give out like popcorn loans to people for their education turned into this gigantic like real estate bubble. And then they backed it up with, you can't discharge it in bankruptcy. So as soon as anybody from anywhere was sold the bullshit that a, a, a state school or an Ivy League school or any college education will buy you a ticket to your dreams, the schools themselves went on a bender of just raising, raising, raising their rates. So a state school like University of Illinois or ISU or something that was 600, it, it went from like $6,400 for a full education to $260,000, I checked, to go to University of Illinois, a state school that used to be Tom Cruise's backup in risky business. Now, is it sustainable? No. Here's why. The generation that I'm in, Gen X, and for a couple years thereafter, was sold and believed, and it was sort of true, the fairy tale 
that if you had a degree, it was a ticket to a job. And in fact, it was a really high paying job in some cases, like in the mid 90s. Today, that has never been more untrue. The generation of my children, my oldest children, is left with this legacy of all that shit going to pot. And now you've got a situation where online has been proven to be the better way to learn. And it's also been proven that all the entrepreneurs are people that dropped out or self-taught or did skill-based education. So it is a very, very hard thing, other than the guilt feeling of parents my age, to sell this next generation to spend $260,000 to go to a school where when you're done, you get an archaeology degree that you will be paying for for the next 40 years with no possibility to pay it back versus get an online degree from one of these, you know, University of New Mexico for $500 or do a skill-based job or join a startup or create a skill-based apprenticeship of doing things that used to be looked down on, but now are great, like in the trades. And that's where it's going. This whole system will implode on its own weight. And you will see like NYU actually started doing it and some other University of Chicago did it. The bigger universities are going to start giving away tuition. They're going to start giving away. You can get all of our classes for free if your family makes less than a certain amount of money. And it's the only way to salvage any semblance of the facilities that they have. I, I think the one got, caveat. Oh, sorry, that, I'll let Stephen. Yeah. I, I would just say the, the one caveat to that is like things that are heavy science based that need labs yeah. um, and really expensive equipment, like you need to use wind tunnels or crazy microscopes or whatever. Like that still oftentimes has to take place in a class in a university, like a doctor um, for sure. Yeah, like like there's some things that can never break away from that, or we haven't figured out how to do that yet in the online world, but. Um, I just think that's like the one caveat to that. But if you're going to do business or something like sure, Right. And there's, you know, I mean, part of what people sell your Ivy League education on is, you know, the connections you're going to make and the relationships you're going to have. And you do see, I mean, yes, we see a lot of entrepreneurs who, who dropped out. We also see a lot of entrepreneurs who like their entire startup team is the folks they went to Stanford with. Absolutely. Um, and so, uh, yet, I don't know, I guess I made the wrong connections when I went to an Ivy Lake university because I just hung out with people I liked. Um, uh, 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 but, uh, uh, you know, uh, there is some value in being there, but I used to do uh, alumni interviews for uh, uh, applicants to my alma mater. And I always felt really, I always had really mixed feelings because it's like I had a great experience. I value it a lot, even though like what I studied does not have anything directly to do with what, what I do for a living. Um, but, you know, my father was able to pay for it without loans because, yeah, even the Ivy Leagues back in, in the day when Spencer and I were at university uh, did not cost as, as much money. Um, and it's like I cannot is- suggest it's worth spending a lifetime in debt. No, it's just it was just that Scott Scott um, in this interview, which I highly recommend the listeners and viewers watch. It's the profitability of these courses. He he said that uh, you know startling. He said he he said there's nothing more profitable than a lot, than some of these courses and the no, money these universities are. You know, I, I think it's totally my daughter immoral. Is- but you know, but you, the UK, you, you know. Unfortunately, the UK um, or England has decided to go down this US model to some extent, haven't they, Andrew? I don't know. Well, not quite, nearly. I mean, for years now, it's been, um, it's cost £9,000 a year to go to university. 
basically. It's a fixed, pretty much a fixed rate. There's cut, you know, Oxford and Cambridge might be fifteen thousand a year, but it's a you get a student loan and you don't start paying it back until you start earning more than twenty four thousand pounds a year. But my daughter is seventeen and she's doing her A levels. Didn't want to go to sixth form college physically for whatever reason. And uh, so since last September, when she was starting sixth form college for A-levels, this is pre-university, it's cost £2,750 for her to go to sixth form college, but online. Um, and she's doing chemistry. So there's Stephen. You know, there are certain things in chemistry that you can't do. So for the chemistry parts of it, the actual physical experiments of chemistry and the exams as well, they're all in a physical location. Um, but she's prepared now to, depending on how the pandemic, because it's hit us quite hard as well, the pandemic, people don't, you know, people in America don't actually realize, you know, we've had 40,000 deaths. People in America hardly realize the rest of the planet exists. Yeah, fair fair shout, fair shout. No no offense meant, but, you know, it's not just about America. But, you know, so we're suffering as well, and we've just come out of lockdown. We are still in a kind of a lockdown. We're still not meant to go out, really, if we don't need to. Um, you naughty college, boy. You're, you just couldn't resist your golf, could you? Well, we're I don't know. To, you can maintain a pretty safe distance from other humans on a golf course. Well, yeah, especially if we you know, every, play army golf, left, right, left, right. No one's... They actually, they actually walk They actually walk the course in Britain, in England, unlike in America, yeah. actually. They we actually, don't. There's no, we don't have, there's no carts. We're not allowed carts at the moment. It, only if you've got a medical certificate or um, a bad toe like I have, but I didn't take a car. But anyway, my daughter is currently doing sixth form college online and she's seeing no reason, with some success, I have to say, which I'm, I'm pleased of, she's seeing no reason why she can't go to university online. And uh, the, the competitiveness of that, it's, it, it's going to be less. I mean, if she can do six, a one year of sixth form college for two and a half thousand pounds a year, then there's no reason why a university course is going to cost £9,000 a year. So get to the nitty, just to finish off, um, Spencer, just to finish off with you. Um, in the next five years, how many univer- how many established universities that are running at the present moment, how many of them do you think are going to be facing bankruptcy and <laughs> just going to, you know, just going to end, basically? I think what's going to happen is that those institutions that have existed with really nice campuses, you know, that have been around some time, including like the state schools, University of Illinois and so forth, they're going to move to a patronage model. And what is going to happen is those people who are in the benefit of the 1% or the upper 1% will be using their money to keep those universities in existence for showcases. And the reason is simply because, A, they have nowhere else to put their money as a good investment. B, they'll get it as a tax write-off. C, they'll feel good before they die. And D, E, E, F, G. But at the same time, the universities will not be able to continue charging what they're charging, $7,000 for a three-hour course that can be taken online, which, by the way, my 19-year-old prefers. I mean, it's just like, why does he want to schlep over to a class and sit bored? And U of I had classrooms of 300 people at a time with one professor. What's going to happen for the mid-tier and the lower schools? Yes, they are going away. In fact, many of my clients and his friends run universities. They're in desperate times because if they haven't been doing online courses, they're thinking about it hard. And if they can't do it, they're just done because there's no way to attract students who are going to buy into this lie. I mean, it's literally like the cell phones 
remember the days when they first came out and it was 25 cents for a text message? Everybody's like, oh, I can send a text message. Imagine trying to charge 25 cents today for a text message. Well, that's what it's going to be like for this generation coming up of saying $260,000 to go to your state school to get a piece of paper you could have gotten online for $5,000 or $4,000 or $3,000. Right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up now. I just thought that was an interesting topic, and I, I, lo- I loved um, Scott. He um, he's always um, makes you think. So I'm going to hit the panel. Um, so, Andrew, what's the best way for people to find out more about you, your company, what you're up to? Oh, they can't. I don't want to talk to anyone. Um, <laughs> well, after this, you won't. <laughs> Uh, elegantmarketplace.com is where I live currently and somebody'shero.co.uk is my uh, UK agency but you can find me on Twitter at Arnie Palmer dot, uh, at Arnie Palmer um, or you can look for the Page Builders uh, uh, Facebook group which is where I'm at really well, thanks for joining us you have to join us again soon you're welcome um, John Locke John how can people find out more about you and your shit story <laughs> hey, are are we doing recommendations? Oh yes, today? I forgot. I forgot okay. recommendations. Please put your recommend. I totally forgot. I apologise, panel. I okay. forgot about. So, uh, um, put it. Yeah, into you, you chat. can find me. Yeah, we doing that next. Yes. Well, okay. do your recommendation and tell people how they can find you. Okay, my recommendation. I got two recommendations. Um, well, first, I'm going to say how you can find me. You can find me on Twitter, lockdown underscore. If you go to YouTube, search Lockdown SEO, you'll find me or my website, which is Lockdown SEO. Now I got two recommendations. First one is a YouTube video from Michael Harriet. This is The Clap Back, Season 1, Episode 7, Sometimes Violence is the Answer. And he talks about how white people think that they know uh, the history of Martin Luther King, but he breaks down how a lot of what you believe about the civil rights movement is actually incorrect because the way that we pass down information, it's gotten muddled. And he breaks down the actual dates that things happened and where in the timeline of the civil rights movement, Martin uh, Luther King and his efforts fell. And the second recommendation I have is if we're talking about schools, if you have kids in school or if you have kids in college or whatever it is, You know, look at the curriculum for U.S. history or American institutions and ask yourself, like, why did I know that I never did heard anything about Black Wall Street or Tulsa being burned down? Never heard anything about the Rosewood massacre. Never heard anything, even though I was in high school when it was happening, 1985, Philadelphia dropping a bomb on Um, MOVE headquarters. Yeah. So look at the history curriculum of, of what's coming up in your schools like now and ask yourself, why have you never, ever heard about these things? Why have you never heard about Juneteenth? All right. Thank you. Yeah. So, so um, Adrian, how can people find out about you? And also, have you got any recommendations for this week? Yeah, so I'll start off with my recommendation. We were talking a lot about the WooCommerce blocks today, and uh, Andrew mentioned that he's a big Shopify person. Shopify has a far superior checkout experience uh, than WooCommerce does. But no, if you yeah, but if you use launch flows, not if you use launch flows, but there's (laughs) a and and not and not to rub it in your face, Spencer, but there is a there is another solution uh, from someone who I went to WordCamp. uh, Sorry, not WordCamp, but Cabo Press with. 
and it's called Checkout WC. And it basically just rewrites the whole checkout experience to copy the Shopify checkout experience. And it's quite... uh, One of the themes that they offer is actually just called Copify. And it's like the WordPress Shopify checkout experience. And it's very cool. It's very sexy. They processed over three and a half million in sales through their new checkout experience. uh, And like over like 300,000 sales in total or something. It's it's quite cool. So that's checkoutwc.com. If you want to find about how you can uh, add those sales to your list and continue to sell to them uh, using CRM marketing automation, you can go to groundhogwith2gs.io to learn more about that. That's great. Spencer, got anything you want to recommend? And how can people find out more about you? Yeah, actually. Uh, I mean, I actually know the tech Checkout WC guys, and I agree that, as we just talked about, the, the end goal is I don't feel like I have some monopoly on this whatsoever. There's several players that are already in the space, and I think it's really the end goal to just get the ch- checkout experience to be universal. There is an interesting thing, by the way, between Shopify and WooCommerce. I, Shopify is the platform which you don't control. So if you want that experience, it's different than WooCommerce. But then on WooCommerce, yeah, this is a great product. doesn't do what LaunchFlows does. It gives you a predefined thing and their own gateway versus WooCommerce being standard and LaunchFlows using Elementor. Nevertheless, a friend of mine, John Denwood, uh, had a webinar with me this week, and it was supported by Adrian and a few other friends because it uses all the key components of Groundhog, Lifter LMS, Elementor, uh, WP Fusion, and we show a stack of stuff that for any business, it's really simple to get up and running if you want to try this method of stuff. I gave you the link here because a lot of people weren't able to attend the event but did come afterwards and found that this was refreshing to see that like a white iPhone, in five minutes, you can put together a stack of mostly free stuff and get that experience you want without having to go round and around the Home Depot looking to put things in your shopping cart and figure out what you want to do. Instead, just go right to the point. So if you're curious about that, just check out that link. And there's a webinar in the slideshow uh, deck. That's great. I was going to ask you if you made that live for me. <laughs> right. Uh, do, I get, do I get to do recommendations after everybody else? Yes, I need you do. To yes, do. of course you do. I'm going to go in and come back to you. I, I, just, had a brain, I just had a brain fart. <laughs> um, all right. Um, Stephen, uh, um, how can people find out more about you? And have you got any recommendations for this week? Yeah, head over to uh, zipfish.io and you can check out how we speed up WordPress's uh, websites and how we differ a little bit from most server companies. Um, my recommendation is Adobe XD. I recently hopped into that again this week after not being in there for about two years. And where they are now from where they were in the beginning is awesome. So loving where XD is at. And if you haven't checked it out, it's pretty cool. Well, can you just quickly explain what is XD? Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, if you ever use like Sketch or... Um, it's more for designing or templating uh, web. It's, it's, a, it's a prototyping tool. Yeah, a pro- yeah, it's a good way of putting it. I, I have not wrap, managed to wrap my head around it adequately, but that's that's what it is, and it and it is free. So, all right, yeah, it's pretty that's nice. great. Thank, thanks, um, Stephen. Put it into the chat, and I'll make sure it's in the show notes. Sally, got anything? How can people find out more about you? And you got anything you want to recommend? Uh, I am at Sally Getch on uh, Twitter and Instagram. My website is WPFangirl.com. Um, and uh, uh, my recommendations are, number one, read the book White Fragility. Uh, and number two, I just learned that Adobe has a free online image cropping tool. So if you need to, like, if your clients are, you know, not invested in in a better a, a level of tool, which many of them are not, but need to crop an image, uh, or you just want to do this quickly, 
um, there is a, uh, a, a, a an online image cropping tool uh, oh, that's from quite... Photoshop. So I have uh, dropped that in the uh, in the chat. Oh, that's great. Back to you, Andrew. Got any recommendations? Well, I'm going to recommend, I mentioned at the top of the show that I sold layoutscloud.com and pagebuildercloud.com. I actually sold my shares in that to a lovely person called Melissa Love, who's a brilliant marketer. She's well known in the Divi ecosphere. And uh, I, the reason I sold it to her is because she also works with Sean Barton as well, uh, who's my partner in Page Builder Cloud and Layouts Cloud. And I, I'm really proud to say that she's. I, I basically wanted her to buy it. I asked her to buy it. She, she said yes, and I'm delighted, mainly because she's a brilliant designer and a brilliant marketeer. She uses WP Fusion. She knows all about launch flows and how to get people to buy stuff in carts and stuff. And so she's redesigned the site. So I just want people to support layoutscloud.com and pagebuildercloud.com because it's I've put it into safe hands. And I'm really, oh. really pleased and proud about that as well. That's great. Put it. Put some links into the chat and I'll make sure it's in the show notes. Um, when it comes to my recommendation, I want to recommend a film that you get on online. It's called The Captain. It's a German film. Uh, made in 2017. It's basically, I'm not going to tell you the plot because I don't want to spoil it, but it's about um, a German soldier that um, that is a um, deserter and somehow he becomes an SS officer on a bizarre journey. And it's based on a true story and it's a, it's a very brutal film, but a very well-made film that really shows the total corruption of German society from top to bottom through this bizarre journey this particular individual did at, almost at the end of the Second World War, for, uh, pretending to be an SS officer. Uh, um, and it's just a fascinating, it's just a great film, uh, uh, a great experience, but also it really makes you think because um, of, of the storyline, basically. So I highly recommend it. Um, we're having another webinar next month. Um, it's next um, July the 7th, Tuesday, July the 7th at 9am. Me and Spencer are going to be delving. We um, Hopefully it's even going to be even more hardcore. We're just going to really just delve in right into the meat. And also we're going to have an emphasis on WP Fusion about how you, we can use these products with WP Fusion to get some amazing results for you. So um, join us. Go to the WP Tonic site. On the top navigation, there's a button that says free webinars. So uh, join us for the Tuesday, the 7th of July at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a blast. And we had over 50 people uh, sign up for the show, um, um, our first webinar. So we'll see you next week, folks, where we have another great panel. I think we've covered some great stories and the panel's been a blast this week. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.